Worship is a, a part of our lives. I think instinctively we all know that worship is a part of our lives. I think it's a part of the, what, what God has given us is this desire to worship. We've actually titled uh, this little series that we're going to be going through this month, uh, Wired for Worship, because I really believe that each one of us in this room have been internally wired by God to worship. The problem with that is that sin came in. We were created in perfection. And God and, and Adam, and God and Adam and Eve, when Eve came along, had this perfect relationship of fellowship. And they worshipped God while they enjoyed His presence. And I think we miss that. So often, we think about worship as coming into church, giving up some of my time, showing up on a Sunday morning, showing up on a Wednesday night, coming and singing and thinking about God a little bit, and maybe hearing somebody tell me all the stuff I'm not doing I should be doing, or, or pat me on the back because I'm doing some things I should be doing. And we walk out saying we've been to worship. And yet if we go to the very beginning of, of relationship between God and man, it was just them hanging out. Remember that Bible says that God walked in the garden in the cool of the day. That evidently meant it was hot some part of the day. And he and Adam talked and he and Adam and Eve fellowshiped. And there was, there was worship of recognizing who God was and being in relationship with Him. And yet it didn't last because sin came in. And when sin came in, boy, it changed everything, didn't it? Then there had to be sacrifice. Then there had to be things that, that, that were done so you could have the closeness again with God, so you could have the fellowship again with God. It was all messed up. And I think one of the greatest things that thousands of years have done is that we are now farther away from worship than we've ever been. I think that because of sin, we worship a whole bunch of stuff that wasn't ever intended to be worshipped. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 1, Paul, talking to the church at Rome, talks about the lost Worshipping the created things rather than the creator. The world worships animals. The world worships the planet. The world worships all kinds of things. It's closed. You have to go upstairs. Sorry. We're getting new carpet tomorrow. Sorry, just giving some instructions. Um, the world worships one another. I mean, we've got, we got parents that worship their kids. we got kids that worship their objects of attention. We have people that worship everything else other than God. And I will tell you this, I honestly believe that we as believers... Now that we know and understand, we're still struggling with it. How do we worship? What do we worship? How, what does worship look like? 
And so today I want to talk a little bit about that. I just want to spend a few minutes with us. John chapter 4, Jesus has an interaction with a lady who is lost. A woman who, who does not know Christ, does not know redemption. She's, now this is again, this is before Jesus has died. He's walking around talking. He's still living his life. So the, the manner in which a person had a relationship with God was through the Old Testament system of worship. Sacrifice, certain things you had to go through and do. And so Jesus has an encounter with a lady. John chapter number 4, verse number 1 says, When Jesus knew that the Pharisees heard he was making... Uh, heard he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, though Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. That just gives us a scenario of where where he was going and why he was going. He had to travel through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the property that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, worn out from his journey, sat down at the well it was about six in the evening. I love that verse. I just a little side rabbit here. Isn't that a great verse? Did you get that? Jesus had traveled all day long and he was just wore out. He was tired. When you have a day and you just get wore out and you get tired and you just feel like, I just can't, I just can't go anymore. You got to sit down by the well and get some water. Understand, Jesus, Jesus knows what it's like to be worn out. Physically, emotionally, spiritually, he gets it. That's, that's, that's a little rabbit. It has nothing to do with this message. But I thought that was a great verse. So the Bible says that a woman of Samaria came to draw water, which is an unusual time. I could go into a lot there. It's an unusual time for a woman to come draw water at 6 in the evening. If you're going to come and draw water, you usually do it early in the day. And Jesus looked at her and said, give me a drink. Jesus said to her, for his disciples had gone into town to buy food. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered, if you knew the gift of God, and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him, and he would give you living water. She's like, what? This, what is this, some kind of pickup line? I mean, you know, I mean, what, this guy's talking to me about, first off, why is this Jew talking to me? A man talking to a woman in that day was unusual anyway. A Jew talking to a Samaritan was unheard of because they didn't like each other. A Jewish man talking to a Samaritan woman would have been scorned in many circles in that day. And she is totally confused by what, she, what he says. She said, Sir, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? You aren't greater than our father Jacob, are you? He gave us the well and drank from it himself, and as did his sons and livestock. She was like, dude, you're nuts. Who are you? Who do you think you are? She, she's thinking he is being arrogant, and he's being foolish, because she doesn't know who he is. So you understand, this is a conversation that's not... You know, this deep, spiritual, churchy kind of conversation that's going on. This is just Jesus talking to a woman, and instantly he's 
interjecting into the conversation the fact that she doesn't understand her spiritual groundwork. Now, she doesn't know that's what's happening, but that's exactly what Jesus is doing. Starting a conversation and leading it towards spiritual conversation. Jesus said, everyone who drinks from this water in the well will get thirsty again. But whoever drinks from the water that I give him will never get thirsty again, ever. In fact, the water I will give him will become a well of water springing up from within him for eternal life. She said, sir, give me this water so that I don't get thirsty and come here to draw water again. She's not getting the conversation. If you can make it where I'm not going to get thirsty anymore, give me some of that. I don't want to have to come back out here and draw water every day. This is a pain. Again, he's trying to create a spiritual conversation with her, but she can't understand it because she's lost. She, she asked this, and he doesn't even answer the question. He goes straight to something else. He said, okay, go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. Go get your husband, because I want to have this conversation with you. Well, that would kind of make sense. You know, if I'm going to sit down and have this conversation with you, go get your husband so that I'm carrying on a conversation with a man. Because for me to be talking with a Samaritan woman shouldn't, you know, shouldn't be going on. That's her mindset. Not Jesus' mindset at all. I don't have a husband, she answered. And then Jesus begins to put in the spiritual dagger. You've correctly said, I don't have a husband. For you've had five husbands. And now the one you have is not your, is not your husband. And now the man you have is not your husband. What you've said is true. Sir, the woman replied, I see that you're a prophet. Oh, wait a minute. You've got to understand something. I just figured out you must be hearing from God. There's something deeper going on here because you're speaking into my life something you can't know. And so immediately she switches to a spiritual conversation. Now she wants to talk about church. I don't know about you. I'm just going to pause here again, another rabbit. I don't know about you, but if you ever had a conversation with somebody, you're carrying on a conversation, and suddenly they figure out you're talking about something spiritual. You're talking about church, and so suddenly they're going to, oh, now let's make this a spiritual conversation. Oh, I can make this. I just had one of these conversations this weekend. Had a man who, who says he's a believer, born again. The conversation's all about the world and his life in the world and his consumption of alcohol and his party life and the women he's chasing and and he's kind of prodding somebody else in the conversation that I'm conversing with about some things. Um, and And then all of a sudden, it kind of comes up that I'm a preacher and that probably isn't a conversation you need to be having. And, oh, we're at a church. I probably, oh, I, I need to step outside the door if I'm going to have this conversation because cause God's going to strike me down. And so now he begins to tell me in this conversation about this thing he had done at work and he had gone to dinner with some folks at work and he asked him if he could pray. And they all looked at him like he was kind of nuts, but they were like, sure. So he prayed, and, you know, because he wanted to make sure I knew he was spiritual. He had to have this spiritual conversation. That's exactly what she's doing. I've got to have this spiritual conversation because now I realize you're talking on a level 
that I want to be on. This gets us to the heart of what I want to talk about for just a minute. She says, sir, I see that you're a prophet. Our fathers, my people, the way I do it, we worshiped on this mountain. Yet you Jews say that the place of worship is in Jerusalem. So now not only is she going to take the spiritual conversation, she wants to make it adversarial. This is the way we do it, and you people say we're doing it wrong. You ever had that conversation with anybody? Somebody say, I don't like the way you're worshiping. I like the way I'm worshiping. And the way I do it's right, and you don't know what you're talking about. And so she's kind of trying to make it adversarial. Jesus, I love what Jesus said. He said, believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. I want to tell you something, lady. It ain't going to matter if you're a Jew or if you're a Gentile, if you're on this mountain or you're in Jerusalem. It doesn't matter if you're in the church or you're on the street corner or you're at your house or at your office. It's not going to matter. He said, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We, the Jews, we worship what we know because salvation has come from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit. Those who worship Him must worship in spirit and and in truth. Now, I suspect most everybody in this room has heard that verse in some shape, form, knew that that verse. Have you ever thought about that verse? We're those people. You and I, in this room today, we are the people that, that God has said, in this hour, in this day, in this time, God the Father desires for people to worship Him in spirit and in truth. That's a good spiritual sounding thing, isn't it? That sounds churchy. Do you have any idea what that means? What does it mean to worship in spirit? How do you worship in spirit? You sit around and hum and put your fingers up in the air? Do you you dance around and praise and raise your hands and you know, what, what does it mean to worship in spirit? What is the spirit of worship? That's really what I want to ask a couple of questions today. What is the spirit of worship? She was saying, we're going to worship on this mountain. He said, she said, the Jews say we've got to worship in Jerusalem. We believers, we Christians say we've got to worship at the church. I don't think any of that's true. I think all of that's true. It's not a place where we go. In the Old Testament, they had the tabernacle. God was going to meet them in the tabernacle in the wilderness. When when they got settled in in Israel, they set up a temple. God was going to meet them in the temple. In the the beginning of, of the church, they were meeting together from house to house and in different places. They got together and met as the church. But what is the ultimate idea? It's God meeting with them. Like he met with Adam. It's all about us in here. It's the holy. Listen, that sinful carcass you're carrying, that sinful carcass I'm carrying, I'm not, that's not meeting with God. 
My old nature is not meeting with God. The fact that I've been redeemed by God and I have the Holy Spirit living in me. The fact that you've been redeemed by God and have the Holy Spirit in you. That is what is going to meet with God and worship in spirit. What does it mean to worship in spirit? I think it's, it, it, it's really talking about an attitude of worship. It's talking about submission. To worship, if, if you look up the word worship, what you see is that it, it talks about a, a deep abiding love that is so powerful it moves you to do things. It changes how you behave. Worship is loving something or someone so much it affects your behavior. That's how come I think I can say with some authority that I see people worshiping a whole lot of things that are not God. Football season. Deer season. TV season. <laughs> telephones, computers, internet, people. How, why, how, what makes me say that? Well, because their love for those things motivates them and changes how they behave. It dictates what they do. Doesn't it? Doesn't it not? The question then becomes, what do I love? Mark said a few minutes ago, you know, it would be great if we could all come to church and worship every night. You know, have a worship there. Go to Bible study every day. Well, I, 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 here's what I will tell you. Yeah, no, we don't. But I won't say we can't. In the New Testament... When the church first started, and they were in love with Jesus, and 5,000 got saved on one day and came into the church, and it was added unto them daily as such as could be saved. The Bible says that they met daily from house to house. Now, it doesn't mean the whole church got together and went over to Mark's house. That'd be kind of hard. Shannon would really be ticked off. 5,000 people showed up. It's bad enough with 20 teenagers. That's kind of like 5,000 people, though, isn't it? <laughs> but the church got together every day. Maybe it's the church in your house, Jamie, with you and AJ and the kids. Or the church at the office where other believers. Or the church in the community when you're in the store and you run into somebody in the, in the, in the grocery store and you begin to have a church service. You begin to talk about how good God is. You begin to talk about what's going on in your life. And you begin to, to interact in such a way that God begins to move in that conversation. You ever been in one of those? You ever been in one of those times where, where you're standing in the grocery store and you're getting chill bumps and it's not because you're in the freezer section? That's because you're having church. Because you're fellowshipping and you're worshiping together. Have you ever been in a church where you just come into a service and you sit in a service and you... You, you, you sing and you give and you pray and you, and you listen and you walk out and you never felt any of that. It's because you were in the building but you weren't worshiping. I've been there. I've been the guy up on the platform that's been there. See, the spirit of worship is about surrender to who He is in your life. Is He really God in your life? 
Psalm 95, 6 says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord God, our Maker. There's a, there's a surrendering. I don't think you have to kneel all the time. Listen, I'm going to be honest with you. Just getting down there on the floor a little while ago, my hips are killing me again. Um, you know, it gets to the point where you can't get down physically. But are you getting down in your heart? Are you humbling yourself before the, before the hand of God, before the face of God? Are you surrendering to the fact that He's God and we're not? That He's given direction. Psalm 81.9 says, There must not be a strange God among you. You must not bow down to a foreign God. Let me ask you, do you bow down to something? Do you bow down to the dollar? Do you bow down to the political party? Do you bow down to the sports team? Do you bow down to your spouse? Do you bow down to yourself? Do you let this be what dictates life for you? Or do you let Him dictate? That's worship, folks. That's worship. Not only is, is the attitude of worship submission, but I think the attitude of worship is service. What do you, again, what you love moves you. Jesus said in Matthew 4.10, when he was, he was battling Satan after his 40-day fast, he told Satan, he said, Get away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Worship and service go together. What you love will be what you do. You know anybody that says, Man, I love the church. But I'm not going on Sunday and meeting with those folks. They're a bunch of hypocrites. I love the church, but I don't have time. I love the church, but I don't really like the people. I don't think you can worship God and not gather with the church and serve. I don't think it's possible. Now, I didn't say that you couldn't be a believer. I didn't say that you couldn't care about God. Care about spiritual things. I don't think you can worship God because worship is surrender under His authority. Why does that matter? Because He said in His Scriptures through the Apostle Paul that we ought to gather together, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, even as you see the day approaching. Hey, is the day getting closer than it was in Paul's day? How come there's so many green seats? Because we've got a lot of folks in our church body that aren't worshiping God. Now, we've got some folks that are sick. We've got some folks that would, they, they are desperate to be back. They would love to be here. But we've got a lot of folks that it's take it or leave it. That's not worship, folks. And worship matters. Worship matters. Service. John chapter 12, verse 26, Jesus himself said, If anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there my servant will also be. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. 
Let me ask you a question. You ever thought about the places you go, the things you say, the things you do, that God is with you? Would you do, let me ask it to you this way. Would you do some of the things you do, say some of the things you say, watch some of the things you watch, participate in some of the activities you participate in, if Jesus physically was a little five foot six Jewish guy hanging out with you, at the, would you do it then? If the answer to any of that is probably not, then you probably ought to put that away if you're going to worship God. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. See, it's loving God in such a way that it changes your behavior. It changes what you do. It impacts how you live. That's worship. That's worship. The spirit of worship. You know, the spirit of worship has to be impacted by this other part. It's not just the spirit of worship, worshiping in spirit, but worshiping in truth. There's a lot of people in our community that worship. Some of them in a building on Sundays and Wednesdays, some of them not. They worship a lot of things but they're not worshiping God if they're not worshiping in truth. We live in a very spiritual society. We live in a very spiritual time. People are spiritual in many, many ways, but that doesn't mean that they're correct in what they do, that God honors it. It's not just because I'm spiritual, it's okay. And some would say, well, that's, that's mighty narrow-minded of you, Pastor. Well, it is. It's very narrow-minded of me. But I get that from Jesus. Because he said that we have to worship God. He said that he was God in the flesh. John, the apostle, wrote, in 1 John, now this is the message that we have heard from Him, Jesus, and declare to you, God is light, there's absolutely no darkness in Him. God is perfect, holy, righteous, no sin. If we say we have fellowship with Him, Adam, God, you and I, Holy Spirit. If we say we have fellowship with Him, and yet we walk, we live our lives in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. Now, who are we lying to? Well, we're lying to God. We're lying to ourselves. We're lying to anybody that's watching. And we're not practicing the truth. I think it's important that you get that. He didn't say that you weren't a saved person, that you weren't born again. It's you're not practicing, you're not living out what it is that God says we ought to be doing. If you're born again and you're not walking in truth of the Word of God, you're not practicing the truth of the Word of God, then you're not in fellowship with God. Acts chapter 4 tells us that there's no way that we can do that unless we're born again. And the only way that we can be born again is through Him. There is no other way. Now, I don't th I'm, I'm talking to the choir now, okay? I mean... 
I mean, I, I realize that y'all are all in the room. Uh, I, I would find it hard to believe that we're many in the room that would not believe that this is a true statement. Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else. Who? Well, talking a few verses before, it's talking about Jesus. They don't mention him by name, but I went back and read the verses. There is salvation in no one else. And who? In Jesus. For there is no other name under heaven given to people. Under heaven, God's direction, given to people, us, humanity. And we must be saved by it. There's no other name. It's not Mohammed, and I'm not against the Muslims. I don't hate them. I don't fear them. I don't pity them. They're lost. No different than the lost redneck down the road that I know. No different than the lost person in my family that I know. They're lost. They're spiritual. They believe something, but it's not truth. No different than most of the Catholics I know. Because what they believe is a system of doctrine that does not teach salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ alone. It's in works. It's in what they do. It's in giving their money and giving their service. That's the truth of that doctrine. It's no different than the, the Jehovah's Witness you know. Or the Mormon you know. The doctrine of their truth is a lie. And so if their truth is a lie, they cannot know Christ. And so they cannot worship God in truth. Now listen, that's, that's not me being arrogant. I didn't get this on my own. God's grace and mercy reached down and saved me. I didn't deserve it. I don't earn it. I'm not worthy of it. And it, because of that, it makes me want to worship Him, knowing that I didn't earn any of this. That I don't deserve a thing, single bit of it. It is God's grace that He allowed me to be born into a family, born into a time, born into a place that heard the gospel. And He opened my heart through His Holy Spirit and He spoke into my life and He quickened my soul and He redeemed me. It was all about what He did, not what I did. And if you're born again, it's the same way with you. And if you're not, you ought to cry out to God and ask Him to open your heart to see that truth. Because that's the only thing that's going to call us to salvation. So, worship. Worship is all about loving something or someone so much that it moves us to a behavior. Worshiping God is all about loving Him so much that it moves our behavior to follow His truth and to put it into action in our lives. Do you know His truth? That's part of the reason why we're implementing this program. We're going to give you some scriptures three times a week. I will have to confess, Mark told a lie when he got up here. Because he hadn't read my questions and my scriptures, obviously. Because <laughs> my scriptures are not always two or three verses. <laughs> Some of them are a whole chapter. But most of it is two or three verses. But it's small amounts of passage that you can read in a couple of minutes. And it's 
three or four questions, two or three questions that you can meditate on that will provoke you to change your behavior according to the Scripture or encourage you that your behavior is correct according to the Scripture or you can seek God for how He wants to move you. The question is, do you want to worship God in 2020? Do you want to have 2020 vision? Do you want to see God move in your life, in the life of this church? What are you willing to do for what you love? Maybe what you need to do is change some of what you love. I know for me, that's already challenged me. I'm having to work on that. What would God have you do today in this moment? What would He have you commit to Him in this moment that will move you this week to different behavior?